0: This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to the Diabetes Knowledge Into Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. This series is CME accredited and this episode is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA PRA category one credits. To claim your credits, go to diabetes.knowledgeintopractice.com to complete a pre and post activity assessment. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Eli Lilly, who've had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. We'll be discussing the latest developments in chronic kidney disease, or CKD, associated with type 2 diabetes, and what can be done to help manage this risk. We'll then be joined by our guest this week, Dr. David Cherney, who's Associate Professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto, and a clinician scientist at the University Health Network and Mount Sinai Hospitals. So beginning with a brief overview of guideline recommendations, the Kidney Disease Improving Global Outcomes or KDGO Diabetes Workgroup recommends in its 2020 guideline that all patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease be treated with a comprehensive multifactorial strategy in order to reduce the risk of kidney disease progression. Looking first at lifestyle interventions, the KDGO guideline provides specific advice on diet, physical activity and smoking cessation including a recommendation of at least 150 minutes weekly of moderate-intensity physical exercise. As hypertension and dyslipidemia are risk factors independently associated with renal damage, the European Society of Cardiology guidelines on diabetes, pre-diabetes and cardiovascular diseases provides detailed information on appropriate blood pressure and lipid targets. In summary, the recommendation is to target systolic blood pressure to 130 mercury for most people, to a lower limit of 120 for those who can tolerate it, and to between 130 and 139 for those aged 65 or older. Lipid targets are individualised according to the person's cardiovascular risk, so if they're considered at very high, high or moderate risk, they should target LDL-C to below 1.4, 1.8 or 2.6 mmol per litre respectively. The KDIGO guideline recommends that in patients with diabetes, hypertension and albuminuria, treatment with an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin 2 receptor blocker should be initiated and that these therapies may also be considered in patients with albuminuria who have normal blood pressure. The guideline also recommends treatment with a statin for most patients over the age of 18 who have microalbuminuria. Guidelines, including those of the American Diabetes Association, or ADA, and KDGO now recommend nephroprotective agents in people with type 2 diabetes and CKD, regardless of their current HbA1c level or target. SGLT2 inhibitors have the largest evidence base in this area for people at both low and high risk of progression to kidney failure, from trials such as CANVAS and CREDENCE of canagliflozin, DECLARE-TIMI58 of dapagliflozin. EMPA-REG outcome of empagliflozin, and Vertis-CV of ertagliflozin. More recently, data from the DAPA-CKD trial showed a nephroprotective benefit of dapagliflozin in people with CKD with and without diabetes, and the similar EMPA-Kidney trial was also announced to have been halted early after an interim assessment showed efficacy of empagliflozin in people with and without diabetes. Based on the available data, KDigo recommends giving an SGLT2 inhibitor alongside metformin to all people with type 2 diabetes and chronic kidney disease who have an EGFR of at least 30 millilitres per minute per 1.73 metres squared, with the addition of other antihypoglycemic medication as needed, preferentially a GLP-1 receptor agonist. The ADA, in its 2022 standards of care, recommends that patients with albuminuria should be offered an SGRT2 inhibitor independently of metformin use, preferentially with primary evidence of reducing CKD progression, specifically canagliflozin, dapagliflozin or empagliflozin. In the last year, we've also seen the approval of a pharmacotherapy for people with diabetes and chronic kidney disease called veneranone a non-steroidal selective mineralocorticoid receptor antagonist, or MRA. It was approved in July 2021 by the US Food and Drug Administration to reduce the risk of kidney function decline, kidney failure, cardiovascular death, non-fatal myocardial infarction and hospitalisation for heart failure in adults living with CKD associated with type 2 diabetes. This was followed by an approval in February 2022 by the European Medicines Agency for the treatment of chronic kidney disease, specifically stage three and four with albuminuria associated with type two diabetes in adults. These approvals were based on the Fidelio DKD phase three randomized controlled trial. This showed that people with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes who were treated with finerenone had an 18% lower risk over 2.6 years of the primary outcome than those taking placebo, which was a composite endpoint of kidney failure, a sustained decrease of at least 40% in EGFR from baseline or death from renal causes. The fenerenone group also had a lower risk of the secondary composite outcome, which was death from cardiovascular causes, non-fatal myocardial infarction, non-fatal stroke or hospitalisation for heart failure. This was followed by the Figaro DKD study, which also recruited participants with chronic kidney disease and type 2 diabetes, but with less severe CKDs than Fidelio. While mean baseline EGFR in Fidelio was 443 The Figaro study population had a mean EGFR of 68. The primary endpoint of Figaro was the same cardiovascular composite used as the secondary endpoint in Fidelio. Likewise, the first secondary outcome was the kidney composite outcome used as the primary outcome in Fidelio. Over a median of 3.4 years, the participants taking veneranone had a 13% lower risk of occurrence of the primary cardiovascular composite compared with the placebo group mainly driven by a lower incidence of hospitalisation for heart failure. There was also a numerical 13% risk reduction in the secondary outcome, but this was not statistically significant. So what does this mean for clinical practice? We're joined now by Dr. David Cherney, who's Associate Professor in the Department of Medicine, University of Toronto, and a clinician scientist at the University Health Network and Mount Sinai Hospitals, where he's Director of the Renal Physiology Laboratory and his research program focuses on the development of renal disease in diabetes. Dr. Czerny's disclosures and links to the references discussed today are available in the episode notes. So firstly, what do you think are the most important things for clinicians to do to help prevent their patients with type 2 diabetes from developing chronic kidney disease?
1: Yeah, so I think the important point about uh, prevention of CKD is to think about the sort of conventional strategies, um, that we've been focusing on for, uh, many years. And then also to think about the, uh, the newer, the newer therapies and mainly pharmacotherapies that are now available for our patients. So, uh, the more conventional, um, strategies include, include, uh, attainment of blood pressure and glycemic targets, uh, making sure that we address cardiovascular risk. Uh, making sure that we maintain, uh, that we encourage our patients and help them to maintain a healthy uh, uh, body mass index, etc. cetera. So all the things that we've, that we typically focus on around uh, maintenance of overall control of risk factors for chronic kidney disease. So then uh, beyond that, we also have to make sure that we are, uh, strategic about implementing newer therapies. And that includes um, uh, the use of, for example, SGLT2 inhibitors. That includes the use uh, in the near future, hopefully in Canada, including f- uh, finerenone on top of an ACE or ARB. So the baseline pharmacological therapy in the setting of kidney disease, especially those with albuminuria is an ACE or ARB. And then these newer therapies would be layered on top of uh, these conventional Uh, approaches plus a RAS in addition. So these are the, the critical things to think about. And what also connects the conventional approaches with these newer approaches is to think about targeting risk factors. And that includes albuminuria, not just the conventional risk factors like blood pressure and hyperglycemia but also to make sure that albuminuria is checked on a regular basis according to local guidelines and also that uh, that albuminuria is uh, followed a- and checked over time to make sure that reductions in albuminuria are being achieved, and if not, then to consider additional therapies um, if and when they're available. So I think that's the overall approach, and it sort of builds on what we've been doing for the last several decades.
0: And if you're looking at someone who's already developed CKD, when setting multifactorial targets as part of a management plan for this, what should be the priority goal?
1: Yeah, so I, I think when when approaching multifactorial uh, targets <clears throat> and trying to manage uh, patients with kidney disease, where there tend, tend to be multiple risk factors and multiple approaches therapeutically they were trying to institute, I think that that the the plan really has to be around prioritizing all of those things. So uh, per, per, uh, uh, prioritizing the conventional uh, therapies that I and approaches that I mentioned earlier around blood pressure, glycemic control, RAS inhibition, um, and then also uh, targeting additional therapies uh, and SGLT2 inhibitors certainly are part of standard of care now in patients with kidney disease with albuminuria, and those those indications will likely extend over time. And in addition to that, we have to remember that these therapies reduce residual risk, but that there is still uh, residual risk in patients with kidney disease, especially in the setting of albuminuria, which means that there's always room to try to try to try to reduce that residual risk further with additional therapies that could be with uh, finerenone in the very near future in, in Canada and many other jurisdictions around the world. And in the future, depending on the results of ongoing trials like FLOW, perhaps GLP-1 receptor agonists and other newer therapies that will also come into play. So I think the priority has to be to uh, make sure that we identify risk. That's the priority and that we use the tools that we have available to us as primary care physicians, as as specialists, that we use all of those tools in order to reduce residual risk to our maximum ability. And that requires a multi-pronged approach with multiple conventional um, approaches and also requires multiple pharmacological therapies to reduce those risks. And it's not just one therapy; it's not one therapy versus another. It's always layering these therapies on top of one another to use them in a safe and effective way.
0: Could you comment on the approval of finerenone by the FDA and the EMA? What does this mean for people with diabetes and CKD?
1: Yeah, so we, we don't have finerenone available yet in Canada. So I'm I'm talking I'm I'm saying this in very relatively theoretical uh, terms, but. It is available in other countries around the world. Um, I think what the availability of a new therapy that includes Phenarinone that will hopefully apply to other newer therapies in the future is that first um, that there are choices. So um, some patients may not tolerate a uh, an ACE or ARB. They may not tolerate an SGLT2 inhibitor for example. And so while we we will try to use Phenarinone in combina- as a combinatory therapy with other agents, uh, to reduce risk to our maximum ability, that there are choices in patients who are not who don't tolerate other therapies. That's one important point. Two is that in patients who are on background therapies, which they should hopefully be on, including ras inhibitors and SGLT twos, this is another therapy that we can use in to layer additional um, protection against. Kidney and cardiovascular risk in patients who were at risk uh, for uh, CKD progression. So that's also very important. And I think there are other benefits as well around uh, around some synergies, especially around safety. So we know that, for example, the use of an SGLT two inhibitor plus uh, mineralocorticoid antagonists. That combination tends to mitigate the risk of hyperkalemia. So I think there's also a benefit uh, in terms of uh, uh, combining SGLT2s and MRAs, including finerenone together, because that will hopefully reduce. You know, finerenone has a has a small but significant risk of inducing hyperkalemia. Hopefully, we can we can minimize that risk as much as possible by having these combinations of therapies. So there's a benefit on the efficacy side, and there's likely also a benefit on the safety side too to improve tolerability and reduce uh, the risk profile. So I think that's also potentially a, uh, a benefit. So there are lots of um, lots of uh, important points for people with kidney disease that will emerge with the availability of newer therapies, including finerenone.
0: And how do you think awareness and prioritization of kidney outcomes in diabetes has changed in recent years, if you think it's changed at all?
1: Yeah, so I think that... Um, that there is a lot more prioritization around kidney disease in people with diabetes and indeed in people without diabetes. So I think that kidney disease overall is is being prioritized um, more than in previous times. Um, I think that's for a variety of reasons. One is the recognition that kidney disease is a cardiovascular risk factor. And so by helping the kidney, we can help the heart and reduce heart failure risk and reduce other risks. So I think all of that has been helpful in raising awareness The second second, um, area I think that's been important for awareness is around newer therapies. So before, if patients had residual albuminuria, when they were taking an ACE or ARB, there wasn't a whole lot that we could do about that uh, beyond treating blood pressure and hyperglycemia and other general risk factors. But now with the um, availability of SGLT2 inhibitors, with the availability of, uh, of finerenone, potentially the available of, uh, of incretin-based therapies, um, that uh, there are additional ways in which albuminuria can be reduced. And there's a growing awareness that targeting albuminuria is associated with benefit. And it's also a surrogate marker that we can follow to determine how we're doing with these therapies so and and some of the newer guidelines there's of course the recognition that we should try to reduce albuminuria by somewhere around 30 percent because that's associated with uh, with clinical benefits so i think there are there are reasons in terms of trials there are reasons around the recognition of this cardiorenal interaction And there are reasons around the use of uh, surrogate markers of cardiorenal risks such as albuminuria that we now have available and that have become very much part of our general practice that's made it much more clear that treatment of kidney disease is absolutely a priority to help overall health and also to reduce kidney risk too.
0: And finally, what would your takeaway message be from today?
1: There are lots of takeaway messages. I think some important key ones are one... Albuminuria is, uh, is, a, is a marker that we should measure regularly in patients with diabetes and in patients with kidney disease, that albuminuria identifies those at high risk of CKD progression and indeed of cardiovascular risk, and that there are newer, newer therapies that reduce albuminuria and that also reduce uh, cardiorenal endpoints. These include not only RAS inhibitors, but SGLD2 inhibitors and, uh, and uh, non-steroidal MRAs such as finerenone. Um, and uh, that we have to uh, find uh, ways of implementing these new therapies in order to reduce the uh, cardiorenal risk over time. That includes addressing um, uh, patient factors, physician factors, systemic factors or societal reasons around cost and other issues that make it hard to access these therapies um, in, in some cases. So I think the the uh, the unmet need is clearly there and we have to make sure that we not only understand how these therapies work, that but that we use them and implement them in practice uh, to the best of our abilities.
0: This brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app or recommend us to your colleagues. We also have a Diabetes Knowledge into Practice website where you can find other episodes of the podcast, as well as other free educational and accredited diabetes resources. You can find a link to this in the episode notes as well as all the references discussed today. Thanks for listening and see you next time.